Hello and welcome to Tools in the Shed, a podcast powered by Cars Guide, back for 2021 and ready to rip into car stuff that's caught our eye this week. I'm Cars Guide Deputy Editor James, and with me are Adventure Editor Crafty. Hello. And our own Grand Imperial Poobah, Mal. The, this week, we're, dis- we're discussing the cars we waved a fond and some are not so fond farewell to in 2020. Uh, we'll look at three recent entrants to the Cars Guide garage, and we'll catch up with the richest lunatic in the cosmos in this week's Muskwatch. So stay with us. But first of all, a story that obviously resonated with people through the week. It's one in a series that we've done over time, but the most recent is uh, of rust in pieces is a story that Chesto authored, and he noted eight cars that have departed the scene uh, since the close of 2020. And uh, it was an interesting one uh, right across the spectrum. Um, And really, it's either lacklustre sales or a change of corporate direction. Uh, That's what he's theorising, but I've got to say it's always lacklustre sales. (laughs) That means a car (laughs) leaves a little earlier than you thought it was going to. Um, He notes that we're going to spend the next 12 months welcoming a whole lot of fresh metal and reviewing it uh, and all of that stuff. Uh, But these are the ones that have gone. So if it's all right with you guys, we'll just kick off and look at each of them briefly. And the first one is the Endura and uh, from Ford. So Ford has all of a sudden got a pretty packed lineup in terms of SUVs and the Endura is surplus to requirements. What do you make of that, Mal? Uh, I <laughs> am not overly surprised that the yeah. Endura hasn't fired in Australia. Uh, you know, we all said from the moment it arrived, it's a, it was a brand new nameplate no one was familiar with. They were launching with a diesel-only product. The product yep. itself was halfway through its model life when it arrived in Australia. Uh, it only had five seats, uh, and the job it was trying to do was fill yep. the boots of uh, territory, uh, yes. which which was available as a proud seven seater. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it was in trouble from the from the word go. And look, Ford says you know they've consolidated their range because they've added the uh, Puma and Escape. But uh, no, we, we, we know that they're... <laughs> oh, no. Simply <Yeah>. no. <laughs> <laughs> well, Endura, I mean, Chester makes the point that sales uh, went down 40% in yeah. 2020. It's been in market less than two years. But it so never really fired. Year, it never, yeah, it never really got there. Yeah. So he says that segment, 91,000 vehicles in 2020, yeah. yeah. 1,311 of them yeah. uh, were Endura's. And Ford will also tell you that they do offer a seven-seater in the Everest, but it starts at $50,000, and uh, it is not as car-like to drive as what people enjoy in something like a Hyundai Santa Fe or a Territory or uh, Mazda CX-9, Toyota Kluger, that sort of thing. Um, So that doesn't surprise me, the Jura. But I'm I'm really glad they they achieved it. I'm really glad we got a a unique model name. They put a lot of thought into it. Yep. Well, I mean, next up, uh, Crafty, it's a car that I know is near and dear to your heart. Um, it's the Hyundai Veloster. It's, I, the, <laughs> the number of hours that you've logged, the seat time that you've had yes, in Veloster. that's right. It's, uh, uh, it's, kind of, it's kind of frightening. Well, but, I know uh, Crafty's always aspired to buy one of those three-door Troopy ex-Ambos. Exactly. And hasn't yeah, been able right. to quite make right. the so no. the Veloster yep. has been the next best thing. The next best thing, <laughs> you reckon? Uh, I mean, it's uh, so Josh, to steal your thunder there, Crafty. It's so <laughs> you, Crafty. It's so it you. Is, you know, yeah. um, it's a bit. It's a bit oddball. The two doors yeah, on one side, one right. on the other. Yeah, a little, 
little bit of this and, you know, nothing of that. Um, I spent zero hours in the Veloster, so... <laughs> Uh, I, I must I say, didn't I didn't do enough yoga to fold myself down yeah, into, into it. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. I, I must say, I didn't get the chance to drive the second generation Veloster either. Oh, there you go. No, neither I did spent I. Spent plenty of time in the first gen. Yeah. Uh, and when it arrived, it made a lot of sense. Toyota didn't offer a Celica anymore. It was yep. really well priced. Um, yeah. It was a much earlier in the kind of the explosion of SUVs, though. And now we've got things like. Konas that are small and cheap and funky looking SUVs, uh, CHRs, and lots of others. Um, yep. Well, that, that's that's actually the point that Chesto made in his story, where he mm. said, "Look, it wasn't a disaster. They sold more than six hundred of them um, mm. last year, and that's more than MX-5 and BRZ and eighty-six and all that stuff." Mm. But it's Hyundai saying, "No, we're going to concentrate on our N and N-line stuff and Veloster." Yep. They're not going to bring an N or N-line version of it here. We're just going to do other things that'll be even yep. more popular. That's their thinking. And, you know, it, it was costing Hyundai a lot of money to bring that car to Australia. My understanding was that we were the only right-hand drive market. Right. And the Veloster, as discussed, fundamentally has two doors on the passenger side and one door on the driver's side. And yep. so for, you know, <laughs> that, that all has to switch over for right-hand drive, yes. which means Australia was getting a, a completely bespoke side pressing which, which which mini famously didn't do with its first clubman do you remember that the uh the first mini clubman or of the new generation um, it, had the had the door on the wrong side the bigger door yeah 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 good yeah, point it had it on the roadside and they didn't bother uh, yeah for, which is odd given that mini is such you know you'd think right hand drive might figure in their uh in their strategy but anyway yeah um, um, look the next one is uh, it's not a big surprise. This is this is not a big surprise. The Abarth One Two Four Spider. So you know, Fiat's take on the MX Five with its own engine and um, a tweaked exterior. Talk about not firing. Uh, Fifty eight of them sold over twelve months in twenty twenty, and you don't see many of them. Mm. Crafty, did you manage to? Again, yeah, this is an, I know did. this is another crafty favourite. <laughs> we're we're pouring crafty into a hole. <laughs> I'm sure Chesto wrote this piece uh, just, to, you know, <laughs> just to show me how many vehicles I didn't get into. Sure. <laughs> Sit tight. There are some some cars you've uh, lived with. No. no, I'm just I'm just imagining the craft garage because you know next to the Veloster is the Abarth one. Yeah, Abarth, yeah. Spider, Absolutely. and then your Navara. Yeah. yeah, that's right. Well, that, yeah, that's yeah. because Land Rover stopped making an open roof Defender. So the next best thing for crafting is yeah. Abarth one. Yeah. 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 <laughs> But I mean, really, there you that, go. that car. I mean, no one. I I, I would argue that ninety nine point nine percent of the population had no idea it even existed, um, yeah. and and those particular aficionados that had to have one probably bought one in the first five minutes, and then trying to sustain any market for that car was pushing it uphill in a big way. Yeah, and then throw in the fact that it was troubled from the beginning. It was originally intended to be an Alfa Romeo. An Alfa, yeah, for sure. So you know, last minute decisions. No, no, no let's make it a Fiat, uh, and you yeah. know rapid redesigns and things like that. It's never been what it intended to be. I, th I think that was partially driven, wasn't it, Mal, by Marchione saying we're, no Alpha is going to be built outside of Italy. And so That's uh, my logist understanding, yeah. logistically they had to build it outside of Italy so it ipso facto became a Fiat. Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah, very and, then, and then most recently, I believe, the UK pulled out of uh, right-hand right. drive. Uh, right. Yeah, you I know, know Crafty gave me the tip on that when uh, when the UK pulled. Them. Mm, yeah, of uh, course. I, it was sad. 
Um, I, could see his lower, I could see his lower lip trembling actually. If the UK can we get onto Holden for God's sakes, come on. <laughs> oh, there's uh, a quote. Well, well, look, the next one is not, is not Holden. Can uh, I just make another... one final point? Sorry, on the air button. Yeah, go for it. Yeah, of course. So uh, it was my understanding was that the decision to make two products from the one platform started very early on with, with Mazda, with the MX-5. And therefore, it's not hard to presume that the Abarth played a big role in securing as much investment that the NDMX-5 managed to secure and, okay. and therefore made yep. the NDMX-5 so special. So it does make me a little bit nervous about the next MX-5. Right. Uh, if, okay. if this uh, platform sharing arrangement hasn't worked this time, hopefully they can yep. come up with another one, maybe, you know, a baby Porsche. Um, yes, that's well, all, all jokes aside, this comes from an MX-5 owner. I know you have an NA uh, MX-5 in your garage, Mel, so it cuts close to the bone for you. Mm, very important. Yeah, but it, it's it's very important for the brand as well, the MX-5. Yeah, that's, true. Um, that's true. So anyway, eyes peeled. Right. Well, um, the another one that featured actually in the last podcast of last year in terms of best Aussie cop cars uh, is the Chrysler 300 SRT. So the classic rear-wheel drive, big Hemi V8, uh, powered sedan uh, is finally look it, it, Chester says it's not confirmed but uh, reports um, say that it's for the chop and it managed 218 sales in 2020 which is not a lot of cars but most of them were probably to the police um, in various <laughs> states and now they'll be casting around for something else to replace that um, mm. so it's it's a goner Chester reckons it is a very old car I think I attended True. the initial launch of that car that has really not changed that much since yeah. uh, in, I think it was 2012. Yeah. 985. Oh, no, no, 20. Oh, that right. <laughs> okay. 2012. So here we are in 2012, 2021. Right, 2012. So, yeah. and it's a 6.4 litre V8, yeah. um, no yeah. turbos. A uh, little bit thirsty. Yes. Yeah. Just a yeah. tiny bit, yeah. Yeah. But I'm, I'm really glad we've had it so long. But yeah. uh, clearly Australia doesn't agree. Yes. Um, I remember in a past life, um, setting up some photographs for a magazine uh, that I was working for. And uh, um, supercars driver uh, Warren Luff was next to me in a HSV car. I was in that SRT 300 and we were setting up to do a little stoppy burnout. And it turned into the smokiest, like, you know, summer nat style cloud that covered half the suburb. And all I could see out of the vaporized rubber was his white teeth smiling at me. <laughs> like, yeah, they do pretty good burnouts. <laughs> All right, so finally, crafty, crafty, one that you can sink your teeth into, uh, the Holden Colorado, which actually really means the final, final, final death knell of Holden as the last few examples of new Holdens dribble out of, um, you know, I don't know, showrooms. Somehow they're finding their way into uh, customers' hands. In December, 28 Holdens went out the door, but all of them were four-by-four examples of the Colorado. Crafty, how does that leave you feeling? What are your thoughts? I... Um... Yeah, I don't mind the Colorado. I was last in a Z71, so the um, the sort of more more than a sticker pack edition of um, of the Colorado. And yeah, we had a had a great time. Very capable. Yeah. Uh, pretty good on road. I have a little bit of a spiritual tie to um, Holden, and it's not the Dalai Lama. Um, I my first car was a Holden, a HK, and then I had a um, a Premier a couple of years ago. 
<clears throat> that I unsuccessfully tried to um, to restore, and and, uh, yeah. and a mate of mine um, bought it off me and and has successfully restored it. So I I Very still good. you know I, I I look back on Holden's uh, with a with a certain degree of fondness. So yep. and yep. it's a shame, like I say, Colorado, yeah, pretty good unit. Yep, yep, it is. It is a shame. Mel, what are your thoughts? Oh, I should also disclose that I'm also a, a classic Holden owner and, and, and uh, my age was my first car and is my first car. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> uh, but with the Colorado, it was Holden's kind of, you know, they were really leaning on it. Uh, like yeah. a lot of manufacturers really enjoying the demand for utes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and the Colorado was just about to score a big update uh, yeah. that sort of brought it in line with the, the seven yeah. benchmark for safety. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, a, it's a shame that didn't get to happen, but, yeah. you know, it yeah. made any difference, as we know. Yeah. Um, some, so I think the fact that we're still seeing Colorados being sold in December probably is a sign of how many were on boats on their way mm. to Australia on yeah. February 17th. When, great uh, point. February 17th. Yeah, yeah great um, point. Which also makes, and it takes a long time to get to Australia on a boat, even from mm. Thailand. And I wouldn't be surprised if some updated models were on their way too. Yeah. That'd be interesting, wouldn't it? What do you think? Yeah. Turn them around or what do you, you sell them? You've got to get rid of them, I suppose. Oh, I reckon turn them around because they yeah. had enough of a problem as it was trying to shift existing stock and, and on yeah. Uh, yeah. That's right. And as soon as you sell them, you've got to support them with, you know, parts and service yeah. and all that stuff. So oh, yeah. maybe they're... Yeah. And that, that has happened before. I remember when Opal pulled the pin, uh, GM again, uh, after, you know, not much more than 12 months, whatever it was, the Zafira was actually yep. on its way to Australia. And oh. I think I think 100 or so Zafiras made it here and occasionally they pop up for sale and you think, yeah, lucky. So wow. uh, there's a there's a... And almost uh, language mouth language careful with it. That's <laughs> Did I say crikey? Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, Apologies. What's your language mate. Yeah. And um, look, in in the interest of complete disclosure, I'll also say that my first car was Holden HG Belmont Ute. Mm. What a beauty! What an oh, absolute yeah. great car! What a nameplate uh, that's been Belmont. Belmont. <laughs> oh, fantastic. I mean, um, mine's a standard. But yeah. um, to go from standard to Belmont, Belmont. Holden marketing. Well, really the, this look. I tell you, the car it came down from. It was on the island of Nauru, and it was brought down oh. to Australia to be sold from Honest uh, Don Howard Motors at Concord. I remember buying it from Don. Good Howard. old Don. Oh, yeah. what a what a bloke! And uh, not Ron was, Howard, Don Howard. Don Howard. Well, <laughs> <laughs> Donny, and it was the, it was the best best car. Uh, all I ever did was put oil, a bit of water in it, petrol. That's it. It was just uh, yeah, tractable yeah. and such a great car. And I used it for a bit of work as well. So it wasn't. It was it was just great. Mm. Uh, now, sorry, can now. I just, Go ahead. Can I just Go chuck ahead. in? Sorry, one yeah. final thing. I did notice yesterday that uh, some Holden dealers still have signage up. The uh, the dealer in Rosebury still has a big fat Holden logo on the roof. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yesterday on the 14th of January. I know. It's a bit of a, it's all higgledy piggledy, isn't it? There doesn't seem to be yeah. any coordinated, it must come down by this date. No one seems to give much of a, of a toss about it. It's just, yeah, when it comes down, it comes down. Mm, mm. But uh, so many have. Taking these down as well. Yeah, I was heading up from you know uh, Sydney and New South Wales and Australia up to, to Newcastle. And there's a big Holden dealer up there. It's still got the signage up and, and all that stuff. Um, okay. Now, look, Crafty, another one that's absolutely in your lane uh, is X Class Mercedes Benz. But it was mm. a, it, it was a long and <clears throat> fairly slow goodbye because it was actually in May that Mercedes Benz said it was a bold experiment, but we we think it hasn't worked. 
Um, so I know you had some particular thoughts when that car arrived. What are your thoughts on its departure? Um, yeah, I'm, <laughs> I'm not. I'm not terribly sorry to see it go. We we did a lot of uh, driving in that thing, including a few. Uh, comparison tests and single car tests. Um, I was always disappointed in the build quality and the fact that yep. it was just a, for want of a better phrasing, tarted up Navara. Um, there could have been a little bit more sort of imagination and thought put into it. It was adequately capable and okay to drive, but if you were a Mercedes-Benz fan... Um, I think if you ever climbed into one of those things, you would be sorely disappointed. It just right. didn't live up to the badge. It yeah. wasn't a prestige, prestige sort of ute, you know, that you would imagine would come from them. Um, Australians if- see the Mercedes badge as a luxury product and Australians want the utes to be as close to a passenger vehicle as possible. Yeah. Oh, um, totally. And uh, we witnessed the chat about uh, numerous people wanting an AMG version. Uh, because mm. it was more in that world than it probably was in the actual world of work and, and uh, practicality. Yeah. Mm. I can definitely understand why they did it. The, uh, let's not forget that the uh, Vito, not the Vito, the, the big one, the Sprinter, yeah. was mm-hmm. a, uh, a platform-sharing Volkswagen Crafter in the yeah. previous generation, and, you know, no one ever <laughs> came up to me and went, oh, why are they doing there? You know, we just accepted it. And... You know, that might be because Volkswagen has a lot of those European fundamentals that uh, people also want from a Mercedes. Um, yeah. But based on our reader interest in X-Class stories, uh, I remember the moment that we revealed how much Navara was in the X-Class. Yeah, right. Did I say X-Trail before? No, no, no I, I, did. I meant X-Class. Okay. The moment we realised how much X-Trail. <laughs> <laughs> the moment we reported how much Navara was in the X-Class, things yeah, started yeah. to turn off. Tail uh, off and then it, when yeah. we drove it and went, oh, there's a lot of Navara yeah. in this car. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Just, well, um, you know, well, we, we raged to, to do as many stories as possible yeah, yeah, yeah. to sate the interest. All of a sudden they just flatlined. Yeah. Um, Very crafty. So. I was just going to say it's not a surprise that Mercedes-Benz did dip their toe in that because, I mean, we all know how – busy and lucrative that that slice of the market is, that ever slice of the market. But you'd think if you're going to dip your toe, maybe put a little bit more thought into what you're going to offer. Maybe up to the ankle or maybe maybe halfway up the the shin. Mid-thigh, mid-thigh maybe. (laughs) That's dangerous territory. Where the water's cold. You know, but realistically, if it were more of a Mercedes, it would have cost a lot more. Because oh no, for sure. For well, sure. witness Chester makes the point in the story that 2020 there were more sold than in 2019, and mm. I think that's because uh, dealers were keen to shift these vehicles on, and um, the the people who saw the run out maybe got some pretty good deals. Oh, for sure. Mm. And I see a fair few of them around in southern New South Wales, but, and also still see a fair few newish uh, yep. Colorados. So. Yep. Yep. You know, I'm starting to see more and more X classes with aftermarket wheels and oh, yeah, uh, yeah. aftermarket AMG esque Panamericana <laughs> grills. Nice. Uh, yes. Oh, Which we were predicting uh, early yeah. on, but yeah. it's just taken a while to start happening. And look, yeah. in fairness, it took a while for 
for the Rangers to start wearing F-150 Raptor esque looking bits. That's right, yeah. yeah. There are a few of those around now. Yes. Not long before they launched an actual Ranger Raptor, but yeah. they're, they're everywhere now. Every well, um, you know, speaking, and their dog speaking of classy that. cars, the next the next car that uh, departs Liberty. So there's there's a nameplate that's been around in Australia for so long, plus more than 30 years. Uh, and the shift into other types of vehicles and the changing taste of Australian new car buyers, all of a sudden it's gone up. It departed in 2020. Amazing. Yep. And, yes. Yes. And there look, it is. you know, it's we're gone. all going about how people are losing interest in sedans. Yep. Uh, at the same, you know, you could also look at it as a glass half full thing. People are just simply finding a better solution to their yeah. needs in SUVs. Yep. And yep. it's not that they're all going for Prados. Yeah, uh, things like the Forester are very car-like, yeah. and then Subaru itself makes disguised cars in the Outback and XV that they mm. call SUVs. They're just, I suppose, you know, restyled and, and slightly lifted uh, Liberty wagons and a, a hatch. I've yeah. got, I've got, I've got a number for you: thirteen thousand seven hundred and twenty-seven Camrys uh, were sold in twenty twenty. So, yep. be it fleet, be it private, whatever, there is a market for a sedan, Camry owns it, and anyone else trying to go up against it seems like they're just beating their head against a brick wall. Mm. And isn't next in line the C-Class? I'm not sure. It, but it, I mean, it, it was traditionally. But, yeah, you're right. The, the Camry's clearly etched its place, and it's the go-to. 925 Liberties compared to nearly 14,000 Camrys. <laughs> it's just <laughs> it's outrageous. Um, but yep. the last, number eight, lucky last, is the Chevrolet Camaro, which you know came in courtesy of HSV, 1,200 2SSs, 350 Z or ZL1s, and uh, now it's a goner. Although I had heard rumour that the new kind of GMSV enterprise could potentially bring it back, but there's also a question mark about its future in the States, just as a model, is there not? Is that your understanding as well, Mal? Yeah, so I don't think anything's confirmed yet, but um, looking into our collective crystal balls, it doesn't seem like there's much of a case for future of Camaro. And yep. uh, I think I don't think the the current generation has, has ever really fired as well as the Mustang from a design and general appeal point of view. That's that's yep. my personal opinion. Yeah. Um, and so then when they brought it to Australia, they brought it much later than the Mustang had managed to arrive here. It cost much more. Uh, the greatest USP it had in Australia was the ZL1 uh, when it arrived with the supercharged engine and then mm. the ZL1 manual, which you know, at the time, a 477-kilowatt, <laughs> 881-newton-metre manual supercharged V8. <laughs> like, wow. You know, if you're wanting to do that, that was your choice and yes. it was a pretty yeah. crazy experience. I drove it around Sandown in the rain on the launch and... Oh boy, <laughs> it was uh, yeah, special times. Right, glad right. I made it round. But uh, then Mustang has since topped it with the Aspect uh, with five hundred and twenty-two kilowatts, but only eight hundred and thirty newton meters. Right. But then you know throw the Mustang factor in as well. Um, yes. And then Mustang in America, they managed to do the Shelby GT five hundred with five hundred and sixty-seven kilowatts. Uh, through yeah. a dual clutch transmission. Anyway, that seems that so, seems like plenty. That's that's an eloquent sufficiency of uh, of horsepower there. I'd say. Yeah, um, and and it's adequate. And once again, I can see why they they pushed it, and I, like it seemed like it was going to be a 
you know, it seemed like it had great potential given how many people were putting Chevrolet badges on their Commodores in yep. the last five years. And that was yes. before General Motors, you know, killed Holden. Yeah. Um, well, so, the hmm. thing that killed me about that 2SS when it first arrived is the, the left to right hand drive swap. A couple of things. You lost the head up display. They didn't bother to do that because the dash top had to be remodeled. And also they didn't bother to swap the center console. So when you got in the car, you put your elbows straight into a cup holder. And it was the most uncomfortable thing. The padding was on the other side and you're just going, oh, I don't know whether I could live with this. <laughs> I, I get around it by putting my hands on the steering wheel, James. Oh, jeez. Oh, wow. Geez. Anyway, right, well, that's... That's very interesting feedback, Mel, which brings us to um, the uh, Cars Now Garage is what we're going to talk about now. And um, that was a great wrap-up, by the way. Thank you for all your feedback on those eight cars. Uh, Crafty, we're going to kick off with what you've been driving lately, and it's a Japanese product and one that you've got a fair bit of wheel time with. Mm. Fill us in, please. Uh, I've been in the the, uh, the new D-Max, uh, the X-Terrain, the top spec, um, and I, along with uh, my Cars Guide colleagues, such as Matt Campbell, have been impressed. We've done uh, we've done plenty of driving, uh, sort of off road and on road. Uh, we're coming up to do some towing with it. We haven't yet um, had a had a run with it in tow. We've we've used previous D Maxes as. as it, it'll, be the, it'll be the car trailer with the Abarth 124 on it, won't it? That's correct, yeah. yeah. It'd, yeah, yeah, yeah. Be it'll, <laughs> and a Camaro on the back. And a Cam- well. all, yeah, the, all the Veloster, yeah. yeah. Um, not the Veloster, the cheeky Veloster. Um, and <laughs> Might need a gooseneck. I, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Again, watch the language, man. <clears throat> um, <laughs> Uh, and yes, again, been very impressed. We've got one now as a long-termer, so for a few months. So we'll put it through a few uh, different challenges, uh, including towing, as I mentioned. Yep. Um, and as well as a full suite of safety tech, um, it's much nicer to drive than before. Um, it's more, even more capable off-road because now it has the rear diff lock uh, and they've also recalibrated uh, the traction control system, the off-road traction control system, whereas before it its weaknesses could sort of swiftly be exposed. Now that's it's it's more difficult to sort of get the D-Max uh, to its limits. Um, yep. yeah, a lot of, lot of fun, nice and comfortable. I mean, utes all the time, as we know, with the popularity of the segment uh, becoming more car-like. You know, they'll never be as car-like as what some automotive journos would like uh, the rest of us to believe, but they are they are pretty comfortable. Um, and you know, perfectly fine to spend hours and hours of um, of driving. Can you can you put your finger on Crafty? What's what's the main thing that's allowed it to be on the one hand more comfortable and on the other hand more capable um, off road? That sounds like a pretty uh, great engineering trick. Is it just the diff or or other things as well? I think the the addition of those, like it didn't have a rear diff lock uh, yep. before. Um, yep. People have been asking for that for years. Yeah. Uh, Isuzu pride themselves on, or at least claiming to listen to their customers and potential customers, uh, and that's what they wanted. Yeah. Innovative um, strategy, that one. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. well, you know, yeah. some people don't. <laughs> that's true. Plenty <laughs> uh, don't. Yes. Yeah. Um, and 
uh, it's got a stiffer chassis. There are a few like strictly engineering things that have gone into it, but it, it's been a lot about the drivetrain. Um, it feels more refined. Um, and that's to do with even sort of paying attention to, to some might say minor details like um, surfaces inside and the build quality right. in a, in a D-Max, even a lower spec D-Max uh, would be on a par, if not better, probably better than something like the X-Class. So, right. I mean, yeah, not, not hard to do, you might right. say, but, right. but I mean, paying attention to things like that make the overall uh, drive experience a whole lot more enjoyable. Fantastic. Uh, all right. Yeah. Well, it'll be great to catch up with instalments as we go, including the, the towing and, and all of that. Oh, yeah. That's yeah, we're looking forward to towing. Yep. Brilliant. Brilliant. Now, thank you, Crafty. Mel, you've been in an altogether different kind of vehicle and one that you're pretty excited about. Please fill us in. Okay. I won't start with a joke. Uh, so, are, you all right? are you okay, Mel? <laughs> I'm all right. I'm just, I've been building up to this moment. It went very still. There's <laughs> a, a lot of pressure. Uh, very exciting. Um, anyway, so it's not this week. And so this is, you know, it's so big that uh, I'm talking about a car I drove last week, yes. um, the week before even, uh, the new fourth generation Kia Carnival. And I'm not joking. Uh, this is an excellent car for those in the know. And the, the previous right. model uh, was as well. And James, I know that you uh, will agree based on experiences with your family that uh, yep. is yep. a very, very handy car. Uh, but the new one, it's kind of taken everything that was good about the third generation model and improved it again. Right. Um, first and foremost, you know, the design, they've put so much work into injecting design appeal into this car uh, from all angles. I think, um, you know, have a look at the front of it. You know, it's, it's, they've slimmed down the profile of the car. They've elongated the nose to make it look more SUV-like. They've put the big uh, wheel arch um, kind of, accents around the top to sort of lower its its overall height uh the, the feeling of its overall height perception of the overall height and then from behind they've got a full width tail light that uh i'm going to say it here it reminds me of robocop particularly in silver wow I not the l not the l grand it's a it's a is it a bit l grandish or uh, the, no, the car overall is a bit l grandish, grand-ish. Mm, and i've always okay. uh, kind of wished that we could buy l grands in australia in a in a non great import uh, fashion but uh, mm-hmm. the carnival's doing a great job of you know sating that desire of mine anyway um, mm-hmm. but from behind it yeah the, once you see it as robocop you can't unsee it um, <laughs> okay okay but uh, so yeah so the, the the floor is all new they've changed the front suspension rear suspension it feels a lot like the old one to drive, but that's okay because right. uh, the old one was a very nice car to drive. And I say yep. car is yep. the, the key word. Um, you know, a great way to spend many hours behind the wheel. You could, you know, it's the sort of thing that if you need to drive to Brisbane, you wouldn't, you know, groan if someone said you to, to do it in a carnival. That's from Sydney for, uh, for interstate listeners. Um, yeah. And... Yeah. I was going to say, I read yesterday that in the States, um, they've changed the name from Sedona to Carnival. So that's becoming yeah. uh, more global. Yeah. So it's going to be called Carnival in the US. Power to the people. It's a bit like how they dropped uh, Miata with the MX-5, you know. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. With the ND. Anyway, uh, so interestingly, there's a few interesting details with it. So only the base model gets wireless CarPlay and Android Auto. And 
uh, I know CarPlay, Apple users have, have enjoyed wireless connectivity in a, a bunch of new models in recent times, but uh, I'm yet to experience uh, wireless Android Auto and I really look forward to doing it. Good. However, I haven't driven the base model yet. Um, All right. So the so that's only the Carnival S that gets it, and it gets it because it has a different screen to the rest of the lineup. Right. It doesn't have SatNav built in, um, because one of the third parties that provide CarPlay or Android Auto, the yet to uh, sorry, no one's willing to confirm which of the two it is, are insisting that their mapping product be the primary mapping source in units with wireless connectivity. Uh, so it, yeah, anyway, it's, this is a, <laughs> it's, it's, they're going to meet in the middle eventually. Right. Um, so yet to get it, but anyway, you get corded uh, CarPlay and Android Auto, and it may sound like I'm crowing on about Android Auto and Apple CarPlay, but anyone yep. who's lived with either of those two products uh, is reluctant to go back. Oh, absolutely. I mean, but once you're there, it's yes. There's no going back. You're absolutely right. Don't knock it till you try it. Yeah. True. Um, True. Another interesting detail is that no matter what trim level you buy, and they go right up to $70,000, there's no genuine leather. And like on the surface, you think, oh, that's a bit cheap. But is this the time where we just accept that leather ain't great? Leather and, isn't a thing anymore. Right. And, you know, Mercedes taught us in the 70s that they can do synthetic products better than, than animal hide. Well, they, um, they were absolutely decimating fields of wild MB Texas to, to <laughs> you know, upholster their cars. Exactly, exactly. But, uh, you know, it was a humane uh, decimation. Oh, yeah, yeah. Herds, the herds were thinned, put it that way. Not as, many, not, as, not as many MB Texas out there as there was. Yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, anyway, so it so it's it's basically offering more of everything that we've we've liked about the carnival in the past, and it's interesting that it's arrived at the same time that Hyundai's managed to forge new ground with the Palisade with its eight seat option, you know, yep. the bigger than Santa Fe car. Yeah. And over Christmas, I had a Palisade and a Santa Fe in the driveway, and whilst the Palisade offers really handy extra room over a Santa Fe and a, you know a traditional large SUV. The difference between it and the carnival is still wow. monumental. You know, if you need space, yeah, uh, you, you know, you can achieve it by going for a carnival. Cool. And and all you really lose is the you know the the perception of of adventure capability. Mm. Uh, it still has decent ground clearance. I think it's hundred. I think it's one hundred and fifty plus millimeters of ground clearance, which you know plenty of small SUVs uh, would would do the same. Yeah. Uh, and so, yeah, it lowers the floor and injects that space into usable interior space, which is just so handy. You know, the, the sliding doors are so much easier to get into than than, than hinged doors, uh, which in turn makes access to the third row so much easier. Yep. Uh, and the third row is just the most comfortable, you know, space for adults to sit all the way back there once you're there um, mm. compared mm. to any SUV that I've experienced anyway. Yeah, I always think it's odd that our very own uh, Justin Hilliard goes weak at the knees when you mention Carnival. I mean, he's uh, without kids at this point, but he still loves that car. He, loves he it. Want, he'd, he'd have several. He'd have several in the garage if he could. Probably one of each he generation. Could, he clearly enjoys Holy Ground white goods on the weekend, I think. Yep, he might. <laughs> he might. But um, uh, anyway, th- look, Mal, we'll leave it there. Thank you for that. And no I will finish it off with a quick rundown on the Mercedes-Benz GLA 250. So the little SUV, it's uh, the 250 is $66,500 before you put it on the road. Two-litre turbo petrol four, eight-speed auto, all-wheel drive. Um, it's about one and a half tonnes. 
it produces 165 kilowatts, 350 newton meters. You can expect zero to 100 in a bit under seven seconds, which isn't hanging around. And that's one of the things I'd say about it. I'd describe it as frisky. I, I was driving thinking, this is quite a frisky little car. Um, you got that maximum torque from 1800 RPM and with eight ratios, you're pretty much always in the sweet spot. It's, it's a very easy car to drive. I was surprised too by the amount of rear space. We did a bit of a family uh, road trip in it over the Christmas New Year period, found it comfortable. It was really an effortless uh, cruiser, um, had ventilated front seats. Thank you. In summer, they're, they're so great. And uh, lots of connectivity options and uh, very easy to live with. Um, sorry? I was just going to say, it's, it, it's, I haven't actually driven the new GLA yet, but uh, yep. it's much more of an SUV than the one before, right. which if you park it next to Mazda 3, it looks just like you know a hatch, mm. um, whereas the new one is you know the, the, the sort of SUV shape. And it, it kind True. of follows with what they've done with the GLB in that yep. it's unmistakably SUV. Yeah, um, yeah so true. There's a lot of other like brands that are going more coupe-like. Mercedes seems to be asserting its SUV status. Well, this one, in this one anyway, um, the, 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 one of the downsides I thought is a little bit hesitant at time to actually, you know, pick up the throttle and pick up the pace, a, a touch lagging, not a, not a lot in it, but just occasionally. Also, I thought to myself, look, a top spec CX-5 is about 15K less than this car. Um, and you, you're going to want to want a Mercedes-Benz to, to be paying that premium, I suppose. There are other options around there. Um, and over more than 500 kilometres, uh, 300 kilometres of which easy was freeway driving, we only got 9.8 litres per 100. So I wasn't exactly uh, impressed by that fuel economy. It's not outrageous, but um, it's it's not what you'd probably expect. So there it is. Wow, that, that's, that's what I got out of the Kodiak long-termer. Right, uh, which is a bigger car again, and yep. I was yeah putting three kids in it, smaller kids than yours, but but yep. filling the boot. Uh, yeah, regularly. well, I, look, there's also the fact that I'm probably a pretty crap driver, so the, that impacts fuel economy at, at various yeah. stages along. I was going to say that, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, I, I just assumed it was common knowledge. Yeah. I don't believe it for a second. <laughs> best, best to call it out. <laughs> Now, look, we'll just quickly move on from the garage and look at some of the feedback we got on our most recent podcast episode, and that was at the end of 2020, on best Aussie cop cars. And we went through a rundown. Well, behind on, me, obviously. Of, uh, I would say that, that one, though, is a pursuit rather, yeah. than, rather than an interceptor. Of yeah, course, you know, the, the big... We should difference. make the point to those who are unfamiliar with the Mad Max movies that that, that is a... Uh, that's a fictional police vehicle. That's not an actual police vehicle. Just yeah. in case anyone thinks Ford. they need to call main force patrol. patrol. Yeah. That, and that, that was done under control conditions. That's yeah. correct, yeah. Ford never put A9X wheel arch no. on and the XB Falcon. <laughs> that's right. That's to illustrate that a, a, a <laughs> that's to illustrate um or Sunrise the dangers of towing uh, oh, great, <laughs> great, great cars. But Real. um well in terms of best Aussie cop cars. Flaming Hedgehog came back at us saying, what makes you think they're any good in the first place? And, and Oggy Yogi said, well, which cars were better? And Flaming Hedgehog said, that wasn't the question. Responding to a question with a question is not an answer. And Oggy Yogi said, I wasn't answering. I was asking a question. And you responded with a statement, which isn't an answer. <laughs> I just thought that was absolutely great, uh, great exchange. Um, great engagement. Very, very engaged. Um, all good friends. TG, TGV 
gave us a lot of info about the current status of which cars are used where, but he also made the point that he was surprised that Toyota with the V6 petrol Camry, um, complete with double wishbone, independent rear suspension, you know, Toyota either hasn't bothered to get a fleet contract with the police or the New South Wales police don't want to follow up with a Camry. And we were only just a few minutes ago talking about the staggering numbers of Camrys that are, that are sold uh, each year. And it is a bit surprising. Yeah, um, given the, that's been, seems to be in the, the Sonata's big injection of life. Well, that's police. it. And, and you know, Ryu makes the point, can Sonata N-Line be a new, even a, a highway patrol type car? You've got 290 horsepower, which is, is pretty high. And I'd say that's well within the bounds of possibility. Um, now, de Kook says another great car that would fit the classic template will probably be the new rear-wheel drive Mazda 6 with naturally aspirated V6, powerful, reliable, uh, should be as stylish as Italian Carabiniere Giulia's, uh, which come to mind from, uh, what was it? The, uh, what was that Michael Caine film with the mini- Italian movie? job. Italian job, thank you. Yes, come to mind from that. On the roof of the uh, art museum. Correct. The factory. Yeah. It was uh, Alpha Factory. That too. Anyway, yeah. then got uh, Let's see if, says pre-Holden and Commodore, I think that's intentional rather than a spelling error, my favourite was the Studebaker Lark in powder blue of Vic Police. And for those watching on YouTube, we do in fact have a picture of such a vehicle. And he entered into a bit of banter with Flaming Hedgehog about the bonnet-mounted siren and how terrific it was. So thank you for that, let's see if. Right for pedestrians. Now, <laughs> our, old mate, our old mate Hammer Rocks chipped in and oh, said, old Hammer. in the mid-'80s, my dad was pulled over by a Mitsubishi Cordia Turbo, New South Wales Highway Patrol car. As a young kid, I thought it was so cool. I even remember asking the officer if it was fast. Can you imagine <laughs> you as your dad, you're being booked and your kids talking to the <laughs> about whether or not the patrol car um, is fast. So well done, Hammer. Thank you. I'm sure your father loved that. Um, and then Bertie, Bertie chimed in. He had a bit of chat about batteries. We were saying some of the shortcomings with the replacements for Falcon and Commodore, particularly uh, BMW, Diesel 5 Series, et cetera, had been, been suffering some uh, drainage problems on the battery. Um, he, Jen chipped in, said plenty of legendary Australian policing vehicles. Uh, my personal choice, and he, he makes sure to point out, not through any real involvement, uh, would be a Victorian Divi van. And he reckons the VF still in use as a divisional van. A New South Wales paddy wagon, um, Commodores, K10 Charger, South Australian, powder blue. What a brilliant uh, sight that would be in your rear view mirrors. And the Cordia Turbo and XE to XE yellow Victorian highway. So very close to your car there, um, Crafty, I must say. But uh, thank you for that, Birdie. And thank you for all the feedback. And we will move on from there to Muskwatch. Right. We freeze on Mel's face. So that we... <laughs> oh, I liked your uh, muttly laugh there, Crafty. <laughs> Are the shoulders moving as well? Um, <laughs> that's good. There's a bit of muttly going around. Now, I'm Sinead O'Connor. Lo and behold, lo and behold, he's become the world's richest person. Okay, so Elon is now uh, the world's richest person. But Yahoo Finance reports that during the week are just gone. Amazon founder and CEO Jeff Bezos briefly regained his title as the world's richest person on Tuesday 
only to lose it just as quickly um, as Elon Musk and Tesla shares made a, a bounce back. So the Tesla share price tends to impact this. But as we speak, Elon is once again the richest person in the world. Um, he's You're at number three, JC? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. I mean, they, we sometimes get on the phone. We don't want to yeah. make it a, a cartel in terms yeah. of the, the billions uh, at our disposal. <laughs> but now Elon's worth $195 billion US dollars. So in Australian dollars, 250-odd, uh, that's a lot of billions. And on Twitter, the Tesla owners of Silicon Valley, and that would be an interesting organisation to be a member of, uh, made the point Elon Musk is now the richest person in the world, $190 billion, blah, blah, blah. And Elon said, how strange. Mm. And then followed it up a minute later with, well, back to work. So that was his response to becoming the world's richest person. And at the same time, here's the world's richest person uh, posting up a meme depicting a priest with hands clasped and eyes to the heavens labelled me trying to live a normal, productive life. And that's because this priest is being confronted by a very handsome young woman displaying some uh, provocative body language uh, with a strategically placed label saying sea shanties. Now, that's because Elon is obviously a fan of Sea of Thieves, which is a game where sea shanties are collected. And I would say this particular woman knows the whereabouts of one or more of them. So I thought it was pretty funny, and those on YouTube will be able to see it. But speaking of the Tesla share price, since we finished off last year, which was in December, um, the Tesla share price is now $854, a little over, and it was $633 when we last checked in on it at the end of last year. It hit a high of $882 on Monday. But Jalopnik, uh, a site that I frequent and, and uh, quite like, I'm sure some of our listeners and viewers do as well, has made the point, Mercedes Streeter, the author of this story, says Tesla would take nearly 1,600 years to make the amount of money the stock market values it at. So, you know, on the current price-to-earnings ratio, 1,600 years to get to the value that the market has put on it, which I think says it all in terms of whether we're looking at something of a bubble um, on the share price. But um, with that, we have reached the finish line. But at this point, it's important to mention that due to a classic cock-up on my part, um, we made more than one Greatest Hits Holiday Series compilation episodes than we needed. So we're going to post it on Tuesday. The best of Muskwatch 2020, look out for it. We'll post it up on Tuesday. But I no, want to say, I want to say thank you, Crafty. No, thank you. And thank you, Mel. You're welcome, James. And thanks to Thank our, you as well. <laughs> and thanks to our breaker of chairs, VP of talent strategy and senior odd job delegator, Mr. Pritchard, for his tenacity and skill in making this show look and sound half decent. Today, he's wearing a T-shirt saying Nakatomi Plaza Christmas Party 1988. <laughs> of, course, of course, Mr. Pritchard was a former employee of the Nakatomi Corporation. Um, he's got carbon fibre pants and fish tank platform shoes. They're, they're white, goldfish in the heels. Absolutely amazing. And he um, rocks them, yes. He does. He yeah. rocks them. They, they're never going to look better than when he's wearing them. Yeah. Let us know your thoughts. You can find Cars Guide on Facebook and Instagram or email us at comments at carsguide.com.au. If you're an Apple podcast listener, please rate and review us. Remember, you can also watch us on YouTube. And if you are already, make sure you subscribe to the Cars Guide YouTube channel so you can stay on top of all our latest content. But before we go... Two nuns are driving down the highway when they notice the devil steering the car next to them. 
Driver says, quick, Sister Judy, show him your cross. Okay, replies Sister Judy, turning to the devil. Oi, you bastard, I've got a bone to pick with you. <laughs> the importance of apostrophes. <laughs> yes, that's right. <laughs>